Mishnah that we read at the end of yesterday's daf had an argument about the status of a number of activities, whether they are problematic midoraita, according to Rabbi Eliezer, or problematic midorabanan, according to the Chachamim. So the Gemara now queries about what exactly Minatorah is wrong with these activities. Four lines from the bottom of Tzadi Dalet Amad Godelet, Kochelet, Upokeset, What is the problem that we are worried about with these three activities that we're saying that they are Deoraita, that they are Minatorah? I'm Rabbi Avin, I'm Rabbi Yosip, Rabbi Chanina. Godelet, Mishum Oreget. Braiding is a problem of weaving. Pochelet, the putting on of the eye makeup, is a problem of writing. And Pokeset is Mishum Tova. Pokeset is a problem of spinning. Now, what's interesting here, Rashi brought on the Mishnah two possibilities of what Pokeset was. One possibility is that it's parting the hair or flattening out the hair. The other possibility was that it was putting on, I don't know if you want to call it waxing or rouging the face, which was that they used to place the dough on the face, cake it onto the face, and then rip it off afterwards and left the skin with a reddish glow to it. And that was considered to be prettier, nicer, healthier. And the tova here, the spinning, is because the way they used to make this dough or this rouging uh, material was that they used to uh, string it out. So that's how it would be connected to spinning. So, That's not the normal way that you weave. That's not the normal way you write. That's not the normal way you spin. You might be correlated with these activities, but this really is not those activities. Even according to Rebbe how could he claim that it's Deoraita? These activities are stretched to connect with the Deoraita Melacha that you're placing them under. Elam Rabbi Bo, L'didi Mefarshile Mine De Rabbi Yossi It's explained what Rabbi Yossi Berbechanina said, and he says, Kochelet Mishum Tzovat, that putting on the makeup is a problem of dyeing, of coloring. Now, what's interesting is that it seems to be that the Rambam and others had in their girsa over here, Kochelet Mishum Kotevet. Because when they bring it down to Alocha, they bring it down as Kochele Mishum Kotevet, which seems to be like the first version that we have, and it's clear everybody's paskening like the later version. So there is definitely a girsa in the Gemara that had Kochele Mishum Kotevet. But we have in our Gemara Kochele Mishum Tovat, Kodelet Upokeset Mishum Bone. Braiding and this Pokeset, whatever it is, Toswat again favors the second version in Rashi, which is this rouging of the face, that is a problem of bone. It says, binyan You have the same question that you just asked on the previous explanation. Is this a type of binyan? He says, yes. In, ke the dorish rabbi shimon ben menasio. We have the midrash of rabbi shimon ben menasio, vayibben Hashem alokim et God built the rib, which is, he built it into chava. Medrash says on that, v'lamed shikil'ah kodesh baruch chava, it teaches you that Hashem braided Chava's hair and then presented her to Adam Rishon. So the term Vayiven here is used to mean braiding. Shekain Bikrachayam goes out on the islands. Kurim Likliata Benita. They call braiding building. We do have places where braiding is called bone or building, and therefore it would be subsumed under the Malacha of Bone. Tanya. Rabbi Shimon Olazer Omer Godelet Kochelet Upokeset Le'atzma Tura. She does it to herself, then Patur Aval Asur, only in Yisur Derabanan. Lechaverta, she does it for a friend, Chayevet. Then you incur the culpability Midoraita, the difference being the type of precision that you can have when you do it to someone else versus if you do it to yourself. Everybody knows that if you try to give yourself a haircut, you try to braid yourself, 
It's much harder than if you do it to someone else. You can see what you're doing. You can add, tie it tighter. All of these things that make it much more expert in its nature make it more problematic. And therefore, if you do it for someone else, it will be a problem though, right? If you do it to yourself, it will only be a problem de Rabbanan. V'chein. here is not a connection. It's just in a similar vein, which is v'chein aya. B'shimun ben Elazar Omer, mishum Rabbi Eliezer. Isha lo tavir srak alpana A woman should not place blush on her face because it's the equivalent of dying. Type of makeup has the din of dying, what we saw before by the din of kuchalat. Now we have a strange mix of halachot, all of which are looking for a place to live and what uh, category that they fit in. What categories are they considered or classified under? One who milks. One who curdles the milk. One who makes cheese. Krigogeret, the size of a fig. Hamichabed, one who sweeps the floor of the house. Hamarbeitz, which is to sprinkle water to cause the dust to settle in the house. Verudechalot devash, someone who scrapes out honey from a honeycomb. Shagag b'shabat chayav chatat. You do it unintentionally on Shabbat, you are chayav a korban chatat. Hezid b'yom tov, you do it intentionally on Yom Tov. Lokeh Arbaim, which is the punishment for the violation of Malach on Yom Tov, is Malkot. Obviously, there's no Chatat on Yom Tov because there's no Chiyuv Karet. It is associated with Malach on Yom Tov. Divrei Rabbi Eliezer. That's Rabbi Eliezer's opinion. The Chachamim believe that they're all classified under the Dinei Durabanan. Shvot is a general term that means to rest on Shabbat, but it's also the permission that was granted the Chachamim to put in place things that make it Shabbos, otherwise called Shabbos Dik. Things that make it into Shabbos and things that we prevent people from doing because we find that the behavior is not the type of behavior we want people to engage in on Shabbat. Rav Nachman Baguria Iklo Lenarda. He went to Narda. I had a question for him. Cholev, mishumai mechayev. Milking, what's the problem with milking? Samalho, mishum cholev. For milking. Mechabetz, mishumai mechayev. What is the problem with curdling? Samalho, mishum mechabetz. Because of curdling. Megabain, Making cheese, what's the problem? They said to him, He was a reed chopper in the marshes, in the water areas. Where did you learn Torah? This is unacceptable. The answers that you are giving are not answers. But it's clear, what is he doing? He's covering up. He didn't know the answer. So that's the answer. What you were asking, David, what's he saying? Of course not. He didn't know what to say. So, Atel Midrasha. So he went to the baby midrash to get it, find out what the real answer is. So I'm Milking is a problem of dash, problem of mifareik, as Rashi describes it. Breaking out, you're taking out the food from a place where it's enclosed. And that's a toda of dash. As Rashi explains over here, there's some people who want to say that it's a toda or tolada of kotzer, of harvesting or cutting off. And he says that's incorrect because kotzer only applies to mechuber bekarka, something attached to the ground. And that's not true here. This isn't something attached to the ground, so it can't be a problem of kotzer. But he says rather it's an issue of mifareik. And just like by mifareik or dash, you have the beard or the top of the stalk in which are embedded the kernels that you're trying to separate. And you smash it or you crush it. And therefore, the kernels come away from the chef or from the beard that's on top. And we have the similar thing happening by the milking. The milking is taking the milk out of the area where it's enclosed. And therefore, it's a violation of the 
Isser of Dash, which presents a problem today, a lochic issues today, which is that one may not be mefarek, one may not milk on Shabbat, but you have the issue of the cows. If the cows are not milked, they are in a tremendous amount of pain. So the general way to deal with this type of problem is what we call farek li'ibud, or dash li'ibud, which is that if you do dash, or the malach of dash, we know that the purpose of dash is to capture or take whatever you're breaking out from whatever is covered. On the other hand, if you simply milk and let the milk go to waste or let it go out, then you're not accomplishing the isur of dash, and you're preventing tsar bali chayim, you're protecting the animals. In the modern day milking or farms, they have the possibility, and it does raise some controversy in terms of halachically, the cows now are milked automatically by computer systems and by electronic milking machines, and that there's no human involvement. So the cows themselves actually walk into the machines. When they're ready, they just walk in, they're enticed sometimes by food, but they go in by themselves, they get milked when they're ready, and they walk out. So on Shabbat, it happens automatically, meaning that there's no active dash being done by someone. It used to be that you had to hook them up to the machines. Even though no human was all done by the machines, it still had to hook it up. Now even some of the farms, they don't even have to hook it up. They walk in, and it milks them without any human involvement. They don't have to get involved at all. I mean, the machine knows when the animal's in there, it automatically attaches to the udder and milks the cow. The fact that it's all automated now seems to solve the problem. And so there are many who think that that's not problematic and the milk that is milked on Shabbat is used. There are others that believe that even with it done automatically, it's a problem to have dash or milking done on Shabbat and therefore they won't use that milk or drink that milk that was milk on Shabbat. Same thing applies to a woman, a woman who is nursing. If she nurses directly to a baby, it's not a question. But many women have trouble or difficulty with nursing, and therefore they pump, they pump the milk or express the milk. And here would be the same problem of dash, like a dash, expressing the milk. You can't do a dash li ibud, which is you can either spill it out afterwards, which is somewhat problematic because you already collected the milk and then spilling it out. The best way to do it is to put soap or a rock inside of the container where the milk has been captured because. That makes it it's no longer usable, it's no longer sterile, and therefore that's how you would be dash the ibud. There are ways to get around that. We'll maybe see it later on in the Masechta, but there are ways to work around this and to make it possible for a woman to express even on Shabbat in certain circumstances. Mechabetz, what's the problem of curdling? It's Chayamishum Borer, because you are separating over there. When you curdle the milk, you're taking away different parts of the milk whether it's the cream, whether it's the cheese, the liquid, the whey, you're separating out pieces of the milk. Migabain, making cheese is mishum boneh, problem of building. Now the Gemara says, Hamechabed, Vamirabetz, Vearodeh, Chalot Dvash, Shegag Veshavat Chayav Chata, Tezi Biyom Tov, Loke Arbaim, Divi Rabbi Lezer. Amar Rabbi Lezer, my time mode, Rabbi Lezer. What's the reasoning behind Rabbi Lezer? Dichtiv, Vayit Volota, Peyarat Hadvash. So he dipped it into the forest of honey. This is in the story with Yonatan and Shaul. Shaul says when they go to battle that nobody may eat on that day. His son Yonatan was not present when Shaul made that statement. And later on they end up, he and his weapons carrier end up in the forest and his honey flowing everywhere. And so he dips his sword into the honey and he eats the honey unbeknownst to him that his father has made that 
statement, even though others warned him at the time. Nevertheless, he says, it can't be. How could he ask us to fast on the day of the battle? We'll do much better if we eat. The Navi over there describes it as Yarat HaDvash, the forest of honey. Chimayin Yayar Eitzel Dvash. What does a forest have to do with honey? Just to tell you, just like if you are separating something from a forest on Shabbat, you're chayav chatat for kutzer. Avchalot vashir, rodev mimenu b'shabbat, chayav chatat. It'll be a tolada of tolesh, of kutzer, picking something on Shabbat from the place that it grows. And that'll be the problem. Right. So the Gemara assumes these are the right categories. What happened before is Rabbi Lezer made a statement in the Mishnah, and then we tried to assign to them the categories. So over there, the Gemara is willing to ask on it. Rabbi Lezer here says the categories himself. The story that he has that these are the categories. So there's less room to question in that way here because we have Rabbi Lezer's opinion directly. Over there we had someone else trying to explain the position of Rabbi Lezer. Now what comes out, the question that we have to address is what David asked for. Isn't this Ochel Nefesh? Isn't Ochel Nefesh Mutar on Yom Tov? And over here we don't have only an Easter on Shabbat itself. We have an Easter on Yom Tov. Where is this Easter being generated from? That one is loke on Yom Tov for items that seem to be Ochel Nefesh. Now, Ochel Nefesh, just you should know, it's not really from here, but more in the Gemara Beitza, it's not a blanket head there. It's not that all Ochel Nefesh is allowed. It's not everything from every stage is allowed. The Ramban ala Torag, also the Ramban ala Rif, says in both places he makes a, a distinction, which is a helpful distinction, which is there's a difference between things that are done in the Ochel Nefesh and things that are done the Otsar. Things that you do that are normally stored. Activities that the quantity of which you do would lead you to have to store the item that is not classified as Ochel Nefesh. Because, for instance, if you harvest the field. Nobody harvests a little piece of the field to bake some bread on that day. You harvest a large quantity of wheat and then you put a part of it into storage and you use a part of it right away. That is not classified or under the category of Ochel Nefesh. Things that you do directly for that day. Things that you do so that you can utilize them that day. And people would do small quantities of it. That is considered to be Ochel Nefesh. That's the distinction that the Ramban makes. He runs into some problems with that distinction. And he has to work his way through some of the issues. But that just gives you a broad way to look at it. Be sure, not everybody agrees with the Ramban. But just a way to have framework here. Tosafot right away asks, on Veroda Chalot Devash, Temelari. Am I look at Tov? Why do you get... Malkot and Yom Tov for this. Because, as you said, it's Ochel Nefesh. We have two opinions in Ochel Nefesh. The opinions about Ochel Nefesh are whether it has to be something that you couldn't have done yesterday. Does it have to be something you can only do on Yom Tov? Or is it something that could even have been done the day before? So then we have a machlok between the Rabban and the Rabbi Yehuda. Tosoro here says that machlok is only machshiri Ochel Nefesh. Things in preparing Ochel Nefesh. But Ochel Nefesh itself, everybody says that you could do it even if you could have done it the day before. And that's what Tosfut says, Michlau Dochel Nefesh Shari Rabbi Yehuda Afilu Be'efshar Rabbana Nami Mashma Delo Pligi El Be'machshirin Velo Be'ochel Nefesh So it would sound like everybody would agree, even though you could have scraped out the honeycombs the day before, nevertheless, if it's Ochel Nefesh, it makes the honey accessible today, why shouldn't you be able to do it on Yom Tov? And now he says, Vomeri. The Ri says, I'll tell you what the problem is. Towards the end of the Tosav, right before the widest lines in the Tosav, he says, Omeri, de ikalukme be rodesa mukhla Says that he's scraping out the honey right before nightfall, right before shkia. Talochazi tulorachim. One of the heterim in Ochel Nefesh on Yom Tov, even if you do a quantity that is larger than what you need, is that the possibility that you might have guests that are coming. You can do things in preparation for guests. And that is a matter on Yom Tov, 
to prepare things. Even though you might not be using it today, maybe it'll be used tomorrow. But nevertheless, it's okay because you have this possibility of guests coming. If you eliminate the possibility of guests coming, then you no longer have that head there. So that's what the Reed says. You did it so late in the day that there's no possibility you're going to have guests. Now you bring the road to the Chalot. Inami. Bidvash Or It's Dvash that's already coagulated, hardened. Or it's impermissible to use for whatever reason. Telo chazil achila. Dvash that's not going to be eaten. Because it's no longer edible. Because of that, your melacha is not melechet ochel nefesh anymore. Umiyu. Bigger problem he has, I think David, you were asking this before, teim alari. Keiman demuter legabein biyom tov mina Torah. So now, we know that migabein in the end is bonet. Problem of building. And mina Torah, the Rabbanan believe that migabein is mutar and yom tov. It's an iser de Rabbanan to make cheese and yom tov. It's not an iser this is one of the places where the Ramban runs into a little bit of a problem. Because Megabain, which the Rabbanan say is Asur on Yom Tov, means that it's Mutar Mina Torah. Cheese you don't make for one day. And especially in their day when they made cheese, they made cheese for a large quantities for a long period of time. So here's where the Ramban runs into some little problems with his definition of quantities or amount that you make. But nevertheless, cheese is Mutar to make Mina Torah on Yom Tov. The only reason it's Asur, it's an Isur de Rabbanan. We also know, and this Tosafot is an unbelievable Tosafot, and I'll tell you something that I heard over, I've heard over once, and it's an unbelievable heter that came out of this Tosafot, which is that we have a principle in Yom Tov, which is mitoch. If a melacha is mutar for ochel nefesh on Yom Tov, then the melacha becomes mutar legamre. So mentions havara, transferring fires on Yom Tov is mutar for cooking. Therefore, transferring fire is mutar even when you are not cooking. And so on and so forth, that once a melacha has an aspect of heter on Yom Tov, then the entire melacha becomes mutar on Yom Tov. And Tosafot says something incredible here. He says, if migabain, if making cheese on Yom Tov is allowed, that means we just found an instance in which boneh is mutar on Yom Tov. So now if I apply the principle of mitoch, if I apply the mitzvah, what does that mean? That means that boneh would be mutar on Yom Tov. And that's what he says here. Imkain nafal His house fell down on Yom Tov. mutar live noto mutar to build your house on Yom Tov. So since you could do binyan for cheeses, then you should better build your house. Once you have a heter in the locha litzorech, you can then do it shalolitzorech ochal nefesh. Obovad, she ate tzarech hayom. So it has to be something that you need to utilize today. That we agree. Even though it's not ochel nefesh, it has to be something you utilize today. It says, okay. Lechol betocho. Shaloy yokenu shrav v'shemesh. He needs protection from the cold, from the sun. He wants to eat his meal there today. So he needs the house rebuilt. So let him build it on Yom Tov because we have a heter ochel nefesh by boneh. It's incredible heter that Tosafot is introducing over here. lamar dasumi he says in the end, oh, it's an Isra de Rabbanan, Davi Uvda de Chol. This is something that you would do on a weekday. Building is an activity that's just not right for Shabbat. You can't have guys banging away and doing things that's Yom Tov. It's not a proper activity for Yom Tov. The same way that they didn't allow certain types of grinding, milling on Yom Tov, even though it's Ochel Nefesh, because of the noise, because of the activity that it's associated with weekday work, therefore they didn't allow it on Yom Tov Midi Rabbanan. But that means, according to Tosafot here, you only have an Isur de Rabbanan that's a bonnet on Yom Tov, of building your house. I mean, assuming you can complete it and use it that day, there will only be an Isur de Rabbanan of bonnet on Yom Tov, which is incredible Chiddush that Tosafot is introducing over here. One thing I heard about this heter of the Tosafot, I heard from Rabbi Dov Findel, 
at the time of Yamit in Sinai, when they were trying to take out or remove all those settlements, when they had signed the peace treaty with Egypt, at the time, they felt that if they built there or if they put up the housing there, that it would prevent them from doing it. He says in the name of Rav Cook at the time, that Rav Cook quoted them this Tosafot about the permissibility of building on Yom Tov and that it might be only an Isra de Rabbanan. And because of that, they might be able to build those houses or put up their caravans, whatever it was that they were doing on Yom Tov because it was only Isra de Rabbanan. Because of Yishuv de Eretz Yisrael, he felt that it might be Mutar. And I heard it in his name. I haven't found anybody else who's seconded that opinion. As so now the Yomar continues. Ameymar Shari Zilcha B'Mechuza. Ameymar permitted Zilcha in Mechuza. Mechuza, the city. He permitted them to sprinkle the water to settle the dust, which would be the Marbates that we had mentioned before. Now, first of all, we had either an Isra Doraita or we had an Isra Dirabanan. Over here, he's being Matir Lechatchila. Amar Taim Amai Amur Rabanan. What was the reason the Rabanan said you're not allowed to do this? Rabbeitz on Yom Tov or on Shabbat. Dilma Atele Shvuye Gumot. We're afraid of is that you're going to come and smooth out the cracks, the crevices in the house. Remember, their houses are made out of dirt floors. You have a dirt floor. And you have unevenness on the floor. So if you sweep the floor or you sprinkle the floor, you can even out the cracks. You can flatten out the floor. And that would be a problem of bone on Shabbat or Yom Tov. So hacha like a gumot. He says in our houses, we don't have that because we have stone floors. That's what Rashi says. The city, the entire city had only stone floors. So not only is there no reason to be gozer in the city because of the stone floors, people have stone floors. He says the entire city has stone floors. And there's no reason to be Gazaratu. Some people who don't have stone floors, but everybody had stone floors, and therefore it wasn't a consideration that they would be Mesheve Gumot. He was having difficulty breathing, or it was a difficult situation because of, Hevel usually means the hot air, the difficult air quality. Over here, Rashi says, it means there was a lot of dust in the air, and he was having difficulty. The story was about these two individuals. You don't hold what we said in the Brayta, Anybody who wants to be merabates their house on Shabbat, bring a trough full of water, then you wash your face in this corner of the house, then you carry it over, you wash your hands in this part of the house, then you wash your feet in this part of the house, you end up having the house have the reboots done because of the water that you use to wash yourself, so the water that spills after you've washed yourself ends up doing the activity that you need. Says, I didn't think about it. That's what Rashi says. Lo eti zachur for a type Rashi says my rabbanim said that that means those severely. I don't hold of that heter. So lavadatai can either mean that I just didn't think about it. It wasn't on my mind. I didn't think of this heter, or the possibility of saying I don't know or I didn't think of it, but it really meant I don't hold of that heter. But tano isha chachma rabetzet beitav shabbat. A wise woman can do this reboots on her house on Shabbat. And today, the Svir like Rabbi Shimon, that we pass from like Rabbi Shimon, Shari Afilu Lechatchila, it's Mutar even Lechatchila. Rabbi Shimon says, Dover Sheinu Mitkavein is Mutar. So here, there's clearly, when you pour the water and you are being rebates the house, you have no intention of being Mishaveh Gumot. You have no intention of flattening it out or making the floor flat. And because of that, it's a Dover Sheinu Mitkavein with regards to that. And Dover Sheinu Mitkavein, according to Rabbi Shimon, is Mutar. So in that case, you don't even have to do one of these tricks to do the reboots on Shabbat. You can simply do it 
and not worry about the ramifications or repercussions of doing it because whatever that would be is davar she'u enu mitkavein. Now you have to argue that it's not a sikreshe, that it's not automatic. It won't happen automatically because then you run into a problem because Rabbi Shimon agrees by sikreshe. Now the question is, if that's the case, then what is Rabbi Eliezer thinking? Why does Rabbi Eliezer think it's an Isidore Doraita? Tosafot before says that might be their machloket. He suggests that Rabbi Eliezer's position is that it is a psikreshe. Their argument is about whether doing reboots and being mechabed on Shabbat is going to lead to mishaveh gumot automatically. If you think it's going to lead to automatically, then it's a problematic, even according to Rabbi Shimon, and that might be the position of Rabbi Eliezer, who says it's an Isur Deoraita, versus those that believe that it was an Isur Deorabanan, it was just a Chashush Otu, that they thought it might come about, it might happen, because he holds like Rabbi Shimon as well. And so if he holds like Rabbi Shimon, then he has to come up with a situation where it's not Darush Enomit but rather it's a Psik Reshe. Okay, next Mishnah. Atulesh Me'atzitz Nakuv Chayav. Someone who picks something out of a pot that has a hole in it, is chayav mishum kotzer atolesh on Shabbat. Sheina akuf, if it's a pot that does not have a hole in it, then patur, patur aval asur, which means that's only an isur de Rabbanan to do this. B'shimun poter bazer bazer. B'shimun says you're patur in both instances. Problem being, the assumption of the Gemara is that if you have a hole in the pot, that the pot nourishes from the ground. It's taking its nourishment, it's taking its water from the ground. That's the case. It's considered to be mechubar lekarka. And if you pick the item that's in the pot now, you're picking it from the ground. If it doesn't have any hole in it, if it's not open to the ground, then it's independent. It's already been picked, in a sense. And when you're picking, you're picking it out of something that's already separate from the ground. And that will only be an Isur de Rabbanan, not an Isur de Oraita. So Rami lei Abayi the Rova. So Abayi period Rova. Vamri la Rabichir by Rav the Rav. The Rabbi the son of Rav, said to his father, Rav, it's not, we have a Mishnah, Rabbi Shimon Poter Bazet Ubazet. That our Mishnah, which is, Rabbi Shimon says, it's only Nisud the Rabbanan, whether it has a hole in it or doesn't have a hole in it, it's only Nisud the Rabbanan. Alma, Nakuv, Rabbi Shimon, Kishayin Nakuv Mishavila. That means, according to Rabbi Shimon, a pot that has a hole in it is no different than a pot that doesn't have a hole in it. Raminhu, well, yes, do we have a bright uh, that is problematic? Rabbi Shimon Omer, Ein Be Nakuv, Lishayin Nakuv. There's no difference between a pot that has a hole in it and it doesn't have a hole in it. Elo hachshir zraim bilvad, except for hachshir zraim. So now, the problem is that Rabbi Shimon in our Mishnah says, there's no differentiation between a whole pot with a hole in it and a pot without a hole in it. Then all of a sudden we have Rabbi Shimon, who seems to agree almost entirely to that statement, but he makes an exception and says, well, there's a difference for hachshir zraim. And the problem is, once you have a difference for hachshir zraim, that means that he does acknowledge that there's a difference between one with a hole in it and without a hole in it. Once you've done that, we should extrapolate to other areas and then at least ask the question, how is it that he said by other areas everything's equal? And over here he made a differentiation. Now what is Heksher Zraim? Heksher Zraim is the necessity for food items. In order to be Mikabel Tumah, they have to have some liquid that passes over them. The liquid, one of the liquids, one of the seven liquids that is determined by the Torah to be liquids, Yad Shachad Dam, those are the seven liquids that the Torah recognizes as liquids. If they pass over these foods, then they're what I call mukshar the kabel tumah. They're ready to be mikabel tumah. The Gemara in other places asks, wait a minute, why do you have to ever, ever have hekshar the kabel tumah by food items? Because every item that's out in the field had it rained on it. Once it's rained on it, you already have hekshar the kabel tumah. Why does the Torah even demand hekshar the kabel tumah? Sometimes mechubar the karka is not mikabel tumah. It rained on it when it was when it was mechubar the karka. Once you pick it, it already had the hekshar done. So the answer of the Gemara is, there is no hechsher by things that are mechuber lekarka. It must be, otherwise there's no point to the halacha. 
So it's only true that you can have hechsher, the kabbal tumah, after it's picked, after it's talush, separated from the ground. So what do you see from Rabbi Shimon's statement over here? He says there's a difference between a pot with a hole in it and a pot without a hole in it, because one of them allows you to be machshir dezreim, one of them does not allow you to be machshir dezreim. That tells you the pot with a hole in it is considered mechubar lekarka. That's why there's no hechsher zreim. The pot without a hole in it is considered to be talush, and therefore you can have hechsher de kabel tumah on this item. Well, from that, that's the question that's being posed here. How does that reconcile with our Mishnah, where he makes no differentiation on Shabbat? Shabbat, which would be the Chumrah, why don't we say then that there's a difference between them? Why would you argue that everything's the Kula and say that there's no difference by Shabbat when you're willing to say that by Yaksher Zraim over here that there's a difference between Mechubar and any Mechubar? And especially here, he's saying that the Kula. He's saying that it's not considered Mechubar, it's considered Mechubar over here and therefore it's not Yaksher Zraim. So if you're saying it the Kula, then certainly say it the Chumrah by Shabbat. So what's happening? What's, how do we reconcile this? So Amrlei, the response is the whole Mili Rabbi Shimon Katolish Mishavile. Shimon thinks that pot with a hole in it, pot without a hole in it, is always considered to be separated from the ground. Oh, what are we going to do with this statement about the Hekshah Zraim? The shiny linyan Tumah, the Torah ribta Dara Itzel Zraim. The Torah comes and has a special riboy by the Zraim that any type of Khibur, any connection whatsoever is enough to consider to be a Khibur Shinemar. I'll call Zera Zerua Asher So because of that, those words, Zerua, Zerua, Izareya, it's used so many times, comes to teach you, as Rashi says, Even the smallest or slightest attachment to the ground already considers it attached. And until it's separated completely and entirely from the ground, then you don't have Heksher Zraim. So the basic answer is that this is the exception to the rule. The rule is that pots with holes without holes are considered to be separate from the ground. By Heksher's Raim, since there's this reboy that any form of connection is enough to consider it mechubar, over there Rabbi Shimon makes that the exception to the rule and says if it has a hole in it, then you cannot be makshir the Zraim in that pot. So now, by ha'usaba mi Rabbi Zera. This elderly individual posed the question to Rabbi Zera, Shoresh keneged nekev mali amar Rabbi Shimon. What would Rabbi Shimon say if the root of this plant or item was found directly opposite the hole? So here we don't have any safek. And suppose the other case where you have dirt in the pot, and then that dirt is connected to the dirt that is in the ground. So there, the Chachamim say that it draws its nutrition, it gets things from the ground. But, according to Rabbi Shimon, that's not the case. But, in a case where Rabbi Shimon has the root directly over the hole, or right by the hole, what's the status of that pot? There it's clear that the root now is adjacent to the ground, because it can now draw directly from outside of the pot. Would Rabbi Shimon agree to the position of the Chachamim in that case? Ishtik, v'lo He was silent, he didn't have any response for him. Zimna chada Another time this individual found Rabbi Zera, diyotiv kamar, and he said this. Umode Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon agrees, If there's a hole in the pot that would make it tahor, we're talking about here klicheres, still like today where they planted in klicheres in earthenware vessels. If the earthenware vessel has a hole in it that would make it now tahor, it no longer is classified as a kli, because it has a hole that makes its utility, or ruins its utility, and therefore it would be tahor, then Rabbi Shimon would agree that that's considered to be mechubar the karka. The reason it would be mechubar the karka is because the kli is batel. It's no longer a kli. If it is not mikabal tumah, it means that it's not classified as a kli. If it's not classified as a kli, it's as if it doesn't exist in some ways. And there it's Bato Lagabe Akarka, and it's Makubar the Karka. So then Amalai, that Hausaba Ashta Shorish Kinega Negev Bay Minach Velo Martli Velo Mide, I asked you about the root being next to the hole, and you have no answer for me. Now, Nike Bigdei Tara told me, boy, 
And now all of a sudden you're talking about a case where it has a hole large enough that it's mevatel the shame cleave from it, and there you have an answer. You have, you knew what Rabbi Shimon said there. Rabbi Shimon says when there's a hole big enough to be mevatel it, that it's not considered to be a hefsake. It's considered to be mechuber lekarka. Then certainly in my case where the root is there, it should have been considered mechuber lekarka. How come you didn't answer the question? So then, if you're going to word or say what Rabbi Zera said, you should say it this way. Don't say that it means a hole kadei tarato, but it has to be a hole that is less than a revi'it from the floor of the kli. The hole does not leave a kli that has a machzik revi'it, that can hold a revi'it of liquid in it, because then it's not a kli at all. And if the hole is higher up on the kli, like today you have the same thing, if you have a utensil that has a hole away up top, you can still fill it with liquids, until the point of the hole. And it's functional because you can use the bottom part of the clay. So what he's saying here is that it has to be non-functional. It has to have a hole that's so low down on the clay that you can't fill it to the point where it can hold a revit worth of liquid. That is what is mevatel the clay over here. So, Amar Rava. Now, Rava says something. This is something that comes up in Shas all the time. And it's raised by the Rishonim in many places in Shas. And it's a principle that is laid out with regards to clay. a very important principles. Amar Rava. Chamesh midot to klicheres. There are five measurements, five sizes by klicheres. Nikev kimotzi mashke. You have a earthenware utensil, which has a hole in it. But the hole in it is only large enough that it leaks. If you fill it with water, it leaks. Some of the water seeps out of it. If you were to submerge the utensil in a bath, or into a bucket of water, no water would come in through that hole. Because we know that even with a small hole, there's too much pressure with the water trying to enter. It cannot enter unless the hole is big enough to allow the water in and to allow some air to come through. So over there, the hole here or the crack in the klicheres is big enough to allow water to seep out, but not big enough to allow water to seep in. And there, tahor milatameh gistera. If this was a shard of pottery, and you were using this shard of pottery, which in their day they used when a klicheres broke, some of the shards were big enough to hold the liquid in them, so they used to use them, whether it's for serving salad dressing, for dips, whatever they used it for, they would keep them. If it has a hole in it now that it drips from it, then that gistra, that shard, no longer has a din of kli. The Gemara tomorrow will say the reason is, because we don't say to someone, tevi gistra the gistra. When they have a regular utensil and it drips a little bit, so what do you do? You bring a plate underneath it, you put something underneath it to catch whatever liquid drips out. If you already have a shard, you're not going to bring another shard to capture from the shard. So that's why it's no longer functional, it loses its utility. But With regards to anything else, it has a full-fledged din of a kli, which is by mechatat, which is the paraduma, the ashes of paraduma. There it says, maim el keli. That you must have a kli in order to put the water and the ashes of the paraduma together to make the mechatat for the sprinkling of the paraduma. Over there, it will qualify fully as a keli for making the waters of the paraduma. Next level is Nikev Kikonis Mashke. The hole is large enough not only that it seeps out the liquid, but it allows the liquid to enter. If you submerge the kli into a bucket of liquid, the liquids would enter into the kli at that point. Then, Tahor Milakadesh Bo Mechatat. It loses its shame keli in terms of using it or utilizing it for making the ashes of the paraduma. Vadain kli ulachshir bo zraim. On the other hand, it is still classified as a kli for hechshir zraim. Hechshir zraim means that it's not considered to be mechuber lekarka. Even according to the Chachamim. 
who argue in Rabbi Shimon and our Mishnah, this hole is not large enough to say that it draws its nutrition, that it draws from the ground and considering mechuber lekarka. So the hole is only the size of a konis mashkeh that is still considered to be talush, separate from the ground. That means if water or liquid pours over this item, it will be mukhshar lekavel tumah because it's not mechuber lekarka. Then the next one, nikev kishoresh katan. There's a hole in it the size of a small root. At that point, tahor melachshir bozraim. Now it no longer can be Machshir Zraim because it's considered now Machubar Lakarka. That item that's growing in it, the hole is now large enough that a small root can exit through it. If a small root can get out of it, that means that it can already draw its nutrition from the ground around it, and it's Machubar Lakarka, and it doesn't allow you to be Machshir Zraim Lakabel Tumah because now it's Machubar Lakarka. But, a dying Kli will Lakabel Bozaytim. It's still classified as a Kli that you can store olives inside of it because if you put olives in there, they're not going to fall out. The hole is small enough that it's smaller than the size of an olive. So you put a bunch of olives in there, you could store the olives in this plea. So Nikev Kemotzi Zaytim. What happens if it gets a hole in it the size of an olive? Which is now we're on the fourth stage, fourth possibility. It's no longer a clea for olives. But it's still a clea to put in pomegranates. Again, we're not talking about the seeds of the pomegranate. We're talking about a whole pomegranate, which is larger than the olives. And because of that, if you have an olive-sized hole in it, you could still store pomegranates in the kli. And therefore, it's still a kli for rimonim. Ikev kemotzei rimonim. If it gets a hole in it the size of a rimon, tahor miklum. Then it's completely tahor. Because it no longer has any utility. It's lost its usage. Now, there are a couple of important things to know here, which is the kabobo zetim, as Rashi knows over here, shu shi'or letumah b'chol klicheres ha'suy stam. If you have no intent by a klicheres or earthenware utensil, then the default status is that you're going to use it to store olives. That's the default status. And until it has a hole the size of an olive in it, it still has a din of kli lekabel tumah. Because if you didn't designate it otherwise, that is the major or primary utility of a klicheres. And there until it gets that hole of an olive in it, it will not be tahor. That's a given. Number two is, if you get a hole the size of an olive in it, we said, well, after you use, you can use it to store rimonim. You can store pomegranates in it. What ends up happening there is that there is a stage in between we have to talk about, which is the kli becomes tahor. Once you, it no longer can hold olives, it loses its utility for holding olives. The kli, cheres, is now tahor. It lost its functionality. It either cannot be mikabel tomorrow, or if it was to me, it is tahor now, because it's no longer functional. But, im yichdo, if you designate it to use it for rimonim, you re-initiate it as a kli. It's not a continuum from before. It's now you've created a new kli that you're going to use for pomegranates. So it's not a straight continuum. There is a break here where it lost its shame kli, and then you have to re-establish the shame kli unless originally you had considered it to put rimonim in it. Then if you did that originally, it won't be pasumi kli until the rimonim come out of it. That's an important distinction that unless you designate it, it that's prospectively it will become tamay. Not that it's retroactively it's considered to be a kli. Now Rashi says over here, in the last stage, if it's nikev kemotzi rimonim, if it has a size, the whole size of a rimon, then it's patur miklum. But we started out the sugi over here about klicheres, about gistera, shards of pottery. Why is this any worse than a shard of pottery? So Rashi says, yeah, it's tahor as long as you don't designate it as a shard, to use it as a shard. But if you determine that one of the shards are usable, then it does have Tumah. Then it has a Tumah mitorat gistera, mitorat a shard. Tosafot is not so comfortable with that. And therefore, he says is that you have to say here that it broke in a way that it doesn't leave a shard. It doesn't leave a shard that is a shard that's able to capture something. Because otherwise, he says that the 
Gemara here should have at least put in another category, which is, well, if it has a, something the size of a whole Verimon, you have the next stage down, which is Gistera. The fact that it didn't mention Gistera shows that they're not thinking Gistera. So he says either Rashi's right, or maybe Rashi would be right, but it's just not the case here. The case here is that there's no shard left over that is usable. Now the Gemara introduces the next level, which is Imukwaf Tzamid Patil, Ad Shivchat Rubo. We already saw this, Hukaf Tzamid Patil. Vehut Tzamid Patil has to do with the Torah says in Parshat Chukat, when it talks about Paraduma, something that's in Oelamait, Kelim that are in Oelamait are Mikabel Tuma. And anything inside of Kelim that are inside of an Oel Amait also are Mikabel Tuma. The one exception to that is a Klicheres that is sealed, completely sealed. And that is because Klicheres is not Mikabel Tuma from the outside. It's only Mikabel Tuma from the inside. So if you are sealing the Klicheres, now there's no way for the Tuma to access what's inside the Klicheres. Can't make the Kli on the outside Tamei. And the opening to the klicheres is now satum, it's closed up. So because of that, there is no tumah that enters a klicheres in that way. Everything that's inside the klicheres is safeguarded in that case from tumah. Again, that's only true if the klicheres itself is tahor. If the klicheres itself is tamay, it doesn't afford that protection. So as long as it's tahor, it affords that type of protection with samid patil. So here the Gemara says that imukaf samid patil achivat rubo. That if it's sealed, until the roll of the glee is broken down, it's still considered sealed. But what about the broken parts? Aren't the broken parts open now? So if that's open, okay, great, you have a cover on it, it's all sealed. But what about the opening from the other side, or from underneath, or from the other top? Alright, so that's what Rashi says. Rashi says exactly what Ira just suggested. Rashi says that, Achivchat Rubo, the Chokli Patuach, says any open utensil. Derech Petach, Nifneset Lo Tumah, Lo Derech Nikavav. You can only enter through a opening. An intentional opening, an opening that you're going to utilize for putting things in and out of. But a hole, a hole does not qualify as a petach. So that's where Rashi gets out of the problem and says that yes, there's a difference between an opening and a hole. As long as the opening is sealed, the holes do not detract from the fact that this klicheres is protective. Alright, Tosafot has a little more difficulty with that. And there's a very large Tosafot on Terek Vav Amun Aleph. There's a massive Tosafot over here that deals with just this issue. And he brings Perish Rashi. And then he comes up with a different solution. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about a case where you sealed up the holes. That you resealed the holes that were there. Well, if you resealed the holes, what's the question? If the roll of the Kli is no longer there, and the roll of the Kli is now made up of these seals, does it still have a shame Kli? These seals help to make it Samid Patil as long as... The robe of the Kli is still there. As long as the robe of the Kli is there, then you're patching up a Kli. If you're patching a Kli, then it's still Tzamid Patil. But if you have already robe is gone, and your patching is making the Kli, then you no longer have a Kli Cheres anymore. You have whatever the material you're using to patch it with, that's what you have now, and that's why you have a problem of losing the Tzamid Patil. So that's Tosafot's solution to the problem. The Rabbeinu Tamafresh, B'Shmaitin Achi, Achiv Ched Rubo, Mo'iol, L'Tzamid Patil, Menakavim Nistamim. They're sealed. It's like food that is mixed up in cement or with plaster. That doesn't save them. Just because you're mixed in with plaster doesn't make you into a klicheres. doesn't make you protective. It's only protective when it has a status of a klicheres. If you remove the status of klicheres, it no longer has that protection. So that's the solution to that problem. Now, Amar Avasli. Shamati klicheres shi'uro k'motzi rimon. I heard about a klicheres that the shi'ur is the amount that a pomegranate exits. Amrle rova shemalo shamata elo mukaf tzamid patil. Maybe you heard this din with regards to the sealing of a klicheres within a ohel amate. Vaha rova hu damar 
Rava said, But we saw before, what was quoted in the name of Rava, that you have to have the rove gone before it's a problem in Samid Padil. It says, Depends if it's a big pot or a small pot. Question is, which is which? Rashi says, Large utensils, Then you have to have a rove go. Zutre, in the smaller utensils, then then it loses its shame kli. So Rashi says, Yifchad Rubo is the din by large kelim. The din by smaller kelim is Motsi Rimon. Even though it must be larger than Rubo, that is the qualification by small. Tosafot does not like that answer because he says it's undefined. What is considered to be big and small here? How do you know what's a big kli? And how do you know what's a small kli? He says it's, it's undefined according to Rashi. Therefore, he thinks just the opposite. He says that it's the lesser of. It's a lesser of rove kli or motzi rimon. Which means that in a small kli, a rove is sufficient. You don't have to get to the size of rimon in order to be mevatalit mishem kli. And in a large kli, motzi rimon is enough. You don't have to get to rove. So again, according to those words, it's the lesser of a motzi rimon and rove kli. Whichever is the lesser number, that's what is posel the kli. On Rashi, it's the other way around. It's the bigger of a motzi rimon or rubo. Whichever one's bigger, that's what you require over here. Because Rashi says by a small kli, you get motzi rimon sufficient, even though it's greater than the rove. Bray Rashi learns that it has to be the greater of rove or motzi rimon. Tosavod learns the opposite way, that it has to be the lesser of rove or a motzi rimon. Right, the sugya continues, but goes halfway through tomorrow's Amwatsa. Yeah, we'll stop over here.